This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Let us now take a reading from the scriptures as then I will invite pastors to uh, explain that to us. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And I'll read uh, from verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw an account of the things that has been fulfilled among us, just as they have were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Verse 5, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there it was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, can you hear me? Okay, great. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Okay, dear Father, as we come before you this new year, we thank you once again for today. We thank you as we do for every day you've given us. And we pray that truly as we come to your word, we will not feel uh, jaded or tired or that it's somehow trivial, but instead that truly it is your word. And we pray that as we begin the year, that we will come to it with a sincere heart, truly wanting to hear from you. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to begin today's uh, sermon by asking, what is true? What is truth, right? Uh, what, are, is, is, what are facts? What is real? Uh, there was a time where, I guess, many people will hold many different opinions about many different things. But I think all would agree on what the fundamental facts are, what the fundamental truths are, what is the reality. So recently I watched this uh, movie called uh, Don't Look Up. It's on Netflix. Some of you may have seen it before. And the movie deals with the real issue of living in a world today where we live in a post-truth world, a world of alternative facts, a world which is counter knowledge. And so we, we really grapple with this because it's not just the world that we live in uh, that uh, has this reality of post-truth alternative facts and counter knowledge, but also in the Christian world that we live in, it's also experiencing this. So I remember um, there are some books which talk about this reality of how we live in this post-truth world. And there's a quote here which I came across where it says, we live in a world where the line between truth and lies are increasingly blurred. And where we're actually not equipped nowadays to evaluate the information we counter and separate the truth from the lies. And so recently, just this week, I was reading this book which is called, Do You Feel Called? Okay, rethinking the call to ministry. Anyway, at the very beginning of this book, right, this guy called Michael Bennett, he recalls of a time where he went to theological college. And he went to this uh, liberal theological college. And in a liberal theological college, uh, he said that there was this academic competitive spirit that was there, which was based on how daring you were willing to be, how far you were willing to express your liberalism. And so one person would say, I deny the miracles of Jesus 
multiplying the loaves and the fish, but then the other person would then up the ante and say, well, I deny the virgin birth. And so really, even within Christian academia, among pastors who are going to theological training, there is this idea where, indeed, we live in a post-truth, alternative facts, counter-knowledge world. And so recently, I came across this book, and it says that, I guess you don't really need to read the book because the title says it all, right? Jesus and the Lost Goddess, the secret teachings of the original Christians. And I think this title, this book title, sort of captures and, and reflects and embodies this whole idea of post-truth, right? Because when you look at the Bible, there's no Jesus and the Lost Goddess, right? But here, you know, we've, this guy has revealed the secret teachings of the original Christians, and now we live in this post-truth, alternative facts, counter-knowledge world where being a Christian is about believing in lost goddesses and secret teachings. And therefore, it's so timely for us, I think, as we come to 2022, to look at the book of Luke, to really study the book of Luke. Because what is the purpose of Luke? Why was Luke written? Why did Luke write his gospel? Well, Luke is very honest. Luke is very clear. In verse 4, he tells us why he wrote the book of Luke. Why did he write this gospel? He wrote to Theophilus in verse 4. It says there, So that, it says, you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Right? So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Now, the word here, which is the word certainty, is this idea, oops, sorry, one, go back to this, is the idea of being without doubt, being certainly true, being completely believable, being worthy to be believed. And that's why Luke wrote to this guy called Theophilus, so that he would be without doubt, so that he would completely believe and know as certainly true the things about Jesus. Now, this person, Theophilus, we don't know much about this person. We, we, you know, he, it's not as if he's someone that uh, the Bible explains a lot who he is. But Theophilus is definitely a Greek person because Theophilus is not a Jewish name. He's probably someone who is quite prominent. Maybe he's a respected member of society or official or, or you know, some sort of Roman uh, high official. But this person, Theophilus, uh, seems to have a problem. And the problem is maybe he has doubts about what he's been taught about the Christian faith, right? And as Luke writes to Theophilus, he probably recognizes that other people struggle with the same questions that Theophilus is struggling with. Doubts about questions about whether Jesus is really true, right? The things he's been taught about Jesus. The things about his, you know, learning about whether Jesus has really come to do the things that he's said to have done? You know, questions about what he must do to respond to this person, Jesus. And so, in many ways, as we look at the book of Luke, it's all about addressing these doubts, right? Uh, answering these doubts, showing him the certainty of the things that he has been taught, in a way to smack and kill the mosquito of doubt and to kill it. So, as we look at the passage, Luke begins in the first few verses by outlining why it is, uh, the basis in which 
He has done his writing, and why is it Theophilus then has some measure of certainty to believe in what Luke has actually communicated to him? So he begins by saying in verse 1, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Now, this word here, draw up and many, are key words, right? Uh, because this word here, draw up, is a word which speaks to someone writing an orderly account. Someone who is keeping an accurate and truthful record of something that has happened. And Luke here says that many people right, have drawn up these accurate, the stress on accuracy, orderly accounts of the things that they have seen about Jesus. And from which he has then compiled the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And so therefore, this account of Jesus is not someone standing in the middle of the night on a cloudy night in this isolated part of the world and seeing a UFO. Okay? So the account of Luke is not Luke just accounting of himself and his own experience with Jesus, but rather it is an account where he's consulted many people and they themselves have actually accurately recounted to him what they have seen, the stress on accuracy. Because the ministry of Jesus that we see in the book of Luke is both extensive and intensive. It's extensive, as you can see in this map, which is a bit small, but you can see just by the, by the, by the amount of information here that when we look at the book of Luke, uh, Jesus traveled widely in this area, doing many, many things. But these many things that Jesus did were not done in a corner in isolation, but they were also intensive. Much of it was actually done in heavily populated regions, especially in Jerusalem. And so here, as Luke records this for uh, Theophilus, he wants to stress first and foremost that these accounts were not isolated accounts just seen by himself, but rather a compilation of things seen by many people who accurately had recounted to him and also recorded for themselves what had happened. But he goes on to say that many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Now the stress here is of this phrase, right? These things were fulfilled among us, these people were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Now, what is really important to recognize here is that these things that are recorded for us in the book of Luke was lived reality. It was a lived reality for Luke. It was the lived reality for the people for whom he recorded it from. You see, Luke was not some archaeologist. He's not like looking back into ancient history. Okay? He's not like looking at hieroglyphics. Neither is he living 1,000 years after the death of Jesus, you know, in some dusty library somewhere, researching for his PhD. But rather, Luke is experiencing, living, 
the life of Jesus, right? He, he is one of those people who is actually living within the context of the life of Jesus. And the people he's speaking to are the people who have experienced Jesus directly. And therefore, many people say that one of, if you want to describe the Gospel of Luke, it is the Gospel of knowing for sure, right? It is the Gospel of knowing for sure. And Paul, sorry, Luke is trying to say that, that the Gospel is certain, knowing for sure, because his experience and the experience of the people for whom he's taken these accounts from is lived reality. So one example could be, if I were to ask you, what do you think about the Japanese occupation of Singapore? What do you think about the Japanese invading Singapore? For us living today, I mean, some of you may be a bit older, but maybe the oldest person here is Simpson, right? Uh, but, you know, for all of us here, uh, the Japanese occupation of Singapore was... a. Uh, it's, it's, it's history, right? I mean, it's modern history. It's not ancient history. It's, it's, it's modern history for us. But for my grandmother, who I you know, shared with you before, traveled from Singapore to Ipoh and had a Japanese soldier share her rice with, with her. For my grandfather on my father's side, who was actually owning a bicycle shop and got beaten up by the Japanese, right? the occupation of Japanese in Malaya and Singapore was a lived reality. It wasn't something that was the, you know, the past which you read about or just saw photographs about. It was the reality in which they lived in. And because it was a lived reality for my grandmother on my mother's side and a lived reality for my grandfather on my father's side, so you know that it is true. Right? It is true for them in a way that it is not true for us. Now, I've met some people who used to say, you know, Jesus, he's like a legend but not a legend in a good way. Right? They'll say, oh, you know, Jesus probably did some remarkable things, but over the years, it all got exaggerated. You know, it's a bit like, you know, when you go fishing and then you catch this really small fish, but over the years, you know, it becomes bigger and bigger, right? But that's not, that's not what we read in the book of Luke, right? The book of Luke, Luke tells Theophilus, was accounts, detailed accounts, accurate accounts, based on things done among us, among eyewitnesses. And so what he records for us here, what he records for Theophilus and those who would read later, was based not on history, but on the lived reality. These things happen among us as eyewitnesses, among Luke, among the people he talked to, among the other Christian believers. Now as we study the book of Luke today, we're going to be having a bit of an outline as well as the first five verses. The structure of the book of Luke is based on geography, right? Many commentators will say that the book of Luke has a structure of geography. And so what happens is, um, what Luke has done is he begins the, the book and he kind of like structures it based on a movement from Galilee all the way towards Jerusalem. So the structure of the book of Luke is, is quite geographic, it's quite historical in that sense, right? It's like, it's not abstract. Uh, you know, there's a structure based on Jesus moving from further away to closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem. You can see it a bit more when we look at this map. Uh, again, my apologies, it's a bit small, 
for some of you, if you're using your, your handphones or your laptops, not, not very big. But you can see, right, from this, uh, this picture here, right, that the beginning, the early parts, chapter 4 to 9, uh, begin here in Galilee. And then chapter 10 to 19, uh, we then move through Galilee towards Jerusalem. And then in verse, ch chapters 19 to 24, he then moves all the way to Judea. And so as you look at the passage here, as you look at the structure of the way Luke has constructed his account, for us, it's interesting when we do our Bible studies, but I imagine, right, for someone in, uh, in, in, in the time of uh, Theophilus who had received the letter, the other people who would have read this letter, they could have easily used the book of Luke to go and actually to investigate for themselves the truth and the certainty of the things that had happened. So within the book of Luke, there's the record of Jesus walking in water. There's a record of Jesus feeding the 5,000, five loaves and two fish. There's the record of Jesus going to the house of Martha and Mary. And you can imagine the early reader, Theophilus, or those who would be of the same time of Theophilus, uh, getting the letter of Luke and going to these places, maybe even knocking on the door of Martha and Mary and saying, you know, tell me, tell me about Jesus visiting you. And so here, as we look at the book of Luke, First and foremost, it's really, really about the certainty about the person of Jesus, and what he has done, the miracles he did, the remarkable person that he is. And so therefore, uh, when, you, when you, again, coming back to uh, this guy's experience, this pastor's experience when he went to the liberal theological college, uh, Luke doesn't allow for the reader of his letter to pick and choose uh, what he likes from his account. He, you know, he doesn't allow you to deconstruct, so to speak, his account. Say, oh, you know, I like one thing about Jesus, but I don't like this thing. Uh, you know, this part I accept, this part I don't accept. Because what Luke is trying to say is that all of his account happened among the people of the time. They would live reality. All of it was carefully investigated. All of it right, was actually certainly true. And so, as we come to the first part, the first thing that we really see is, why should we believe in what Luke is telling us? Because many have undertaken to draw up an account accurately. There's a stress here on accuracy and truth. Things which were fulfilled among them, things that were seen, things that were experienced, things that were heard from first, from those who were first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So the first thing that we see in the book of Luke is about certainty. Certainty, the truth about Jesus. Though that's the first, first thing we learn about Luke. That is his intention, right? He wants us to be certain of the things that we have been taught. But Luke is more than that. Because Luke also wants to tell us about the purpose of why Jesus has come. What is the intent of Jesus? Why has he come? Well, if you get your bookmark, right, you should have received the bookmark when you walked in today. Uh, 
the bookmark that you should have received, uh, if you haven't picked it up, it's outside, has the, what they call the key verse or the key theme of Luke, which is Luke chapter 19, verse 9 to 10. So Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so here in chapter 19, verse 9 to 10, is the key theme, I think, of the book of Luke. It's about Jesus coming into our world to seek and to save the lost. Now, if this is the key theme of the book of Luke, we can actually see it, uh, like in a sense, spread out throughout the book of Luke. Because one of the particular things that we see in the book of Luke, which is quite unique to the book of Luke, which is kind of different from Mark, uh, John, and, uh, and Matthew, is Luke recounts Jesus approaching a whole range of people, different sorts of people in this book. So who are the people that Jesus came to seek and to save? Well, we see that uh, early on in the book of uh, Luke, uh, he actually says that Jesus has come as a fulfillment, as a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. In chapter 3, verse 6, and all mankind will see God's salvation. So one of the things that we see in the book of Luke is Jesus has come to seek and save not just the Jews, not just his own people, but all mankind, including the Gentiles. As we progress through the book of Luke, we see that Jesus spends time with sinners. Right? So throughout the book of Luke, we see him making a deliberate attempt to reach out to the outcasts, the, those who are outside uh, of good society in Jewish uh, society, the tax collectors and the sinners. And that was one of the points of conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees as we go through the book of Luke. Right? So in verse 30, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? And again in chapter 15, uh, they said, now the tax, uh, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So it was not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, not just the Pharisees or those who went to the temple, but also the sinners. But also, we see Jesus, particularly in this book, in the book of Luke, there's an emphasis of Jesus reaching out to the, the poor and the destitute, those who are vulnerable, the widows and the weak. So in chapter 6, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. So Jesus didn't come for the rich, but he came for those who are on the margins and the fringes of society. And one of those people, which uh, was characteristic of the day, was also women. So we see in the book of Luke that Jesus seems to spend a lot of time with women, which was very unusual for that time, right? Because that was a very male-dominated society. So we see Jesus taking the trouble to approach the widow and actually healing. We see 
Jesus taking the trouble to visit Martha and Mary and going to their house and teaching them. And so, taken together, we saw that the Gospel of Luke is about the Gospel of knowing for sure. But another way of looking at the book is also that the book of Luke is Jesus is for everyone. Right? Jesus is for everyone. He comes to seek and save the lost. And who are the lost? Everyone. Not just the Jew, but the Gentile. The sinners and the tax collectors. Not just the rich, but the poor and the weak and the vulnerable. Not just the men, but also the women. Now, I think this is really important for us, right? Uh, Because I remember when I was uh, going to my mission school, when I was uh, studying, when I was very young in Singapore, we used to have chapel once a week. And in those days, we don't have aircon in school. So you'll sit in the chapel with fan, we open all the doors, and there's this warm breeze going through. And I would uh, sadly hit the snooze button, right? And so I never really learned much at chapel. And I always thought, you know, being a Christian is about being a good person. But actually, Luke says that Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. There are no good people, okay, in the book of Luke. In, in fact, Jesus teaches us, as we, we, we learn, you know, we go through and we see the parable of the lost, that he comes to seek and save the lost, and all are lost. So that's what we are also going to learn as we look to the book of Luke. The, the book of Luke teaches the truth about Jesus, the certainty of Jesus, but also the certainty and the truth that Jesus comes to seek and save the lost, and all are lost. But the last thing I think, which is a major theme in the book of Luke, is how to respond to Jesus. How to respond to Jesus. Again, I want to ask you to pay attention. Oh, this is really small. Okay. So here I've borrowed this um, diagram, uh, which is uh, explaining the structure and the outline of the book of Luke. And so you can sort of see in the early chapters, it's all about the birth narratives okay, and the preparation of Jesus. But as we move along, we can see that the next section, remember I said how uh, Luke is divided into geographic uh, sections? The next section is all about Galilee. Right? So Galilee is about, all about focusing on Jesus and his message and what he's come to do. The last part about the book of Luke centers around Jerusalem. Okay, Jerusalem. Uh, Luke actually, of all the, the gospels, spends uh, the most extended period on the book of, of, the, of, of all the gospels on uh, what happens in Jerusalem. And so he really focuses here on the crucifixion, the suffering, the trial, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. Seven chapters there, right? Oh, sorry, six chapters there. But you'll notice here that a big chunk is focused right in the middle. Oh, sorry, right, go back one section. Right in the middle, which is the journey section, the journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. So the middle section, chapter 10 to 13, is all about the journey from Galilee in the north all the way down south to Jerusalem. And this section here, this journey section really focuses on a lot of parables, a lot of interactions, a lot of teachings of Jesus. 
And so this section here teaches a lot on discipleship, on readiness, and on warnings. So here in this middle section, which is, uh, I guess, geographically in between Galilee to Jerusalem, he teaches them what it means to follow Jesus. Discipleship. He teaches them what it means to be ready, ready for Jesus. What it means to not live as people of the world, but to live as his disciples. So one thing that Luke really wants to stress is not just the certainty of what Jesus has done, what his purpose is here, but also the certainty of how to rightly respond to this person, Jesus. Now, you can actually see this in some of the major, major, like, uh, I guess, uh, teachings or, or parables or imageries that Jesus gives. So one of the images that uh, Jesus gives in, chapter, Luke, in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, 32, is he sees himself as this doctor, right? He's come not to the healthy, but to the sick. He's not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this is one of the pictures that we will see in Luke chapter 5. There's another image which is very striking, which is the parable of the lost. The lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And here again, right, we have the picture of this lost son. And when he's far away, he recognizes that he needs to go back to the father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. Another vivid image and teaching would be where Jesus reflects on the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple. Where the tax collector doesn't even look up to the sky, but he looks down to the ground in humility and says to God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And lastly, when Jesus instructs his disciples after his resurrection, he says, This is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And so as we come to the end of the, I guess, the uh, overview of the book of uh, Luke, Luke is all about certainty, right? About truth and reality. He wants us to know the certainty about the truth about Jesus, but also the certainty about how Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. But lastly, he also wants to teach about the certainty of how the right way to respond to Jesus is. And what is the right way? The right way, first and foremost, as we've seen, just looking at that, you know, taster in a way, you need to recognize that we are lost, right? We are the sinner. And because we are sinners, we are the lost, then we come to Jesus seeking forgiveness. And lastly, we repent. So here as we look at the book of Luke, I think these are the major themes, these are the major outlines, and the structure of how the book holds together. And these are the major questions, I think, that the book of Luke is trying to answer for Theophilus and for the other readers. So as we come to the end of this outline, um, someone once, I read how someone once asked 
uh, this uh, evangelist or pastor in Australia. And he, he asked her, this pastor, he said, uh, did Jesus come before or after Captain Cook? Now, for those of you who don't know Captain Cook, I mean, why would you, right? Captain Cook was like, yeah, yeah Stanford Raffles. Lah, okay? So he was the one who landed at Botany Bay and discovered uh, Australia for the British because obviously the Aboriginals were there before. Right? So Captain Cook landed in Australia, in Botany Bay, in 1770. And so this guy was asking whether Captain Cook came before or after Jesus. And the point that uh, this pastor was trying to make was that we live in a world that is woefully ignorant of Jesus. I mean, in a sense, we, we've lived, we live in this world which has lost even the most basic knowledge of Jesus. If someone can ask a question, whether Captain Cook came before Jesus, then you know, it shows you the state of, I guess, biblical literacy out in the outside world, right? But it's not just the outside world which is biblically illiterate. But it's also, I think, the Christian world. Uh, more and more, as Christians, we, we've lost knowledge about Jesus. Not just the knowledge, but as you know, I've shown about this pastor's experience in the liberal college. It's like even the knowledge that we have, uh, many Christians now doubt. Right? It's like, you know, people... I've spoken to people in youth groups. I've spoken to young people. I've spoken to older Christians who ask me questions which are really shocking to me, which really you know, doubt even the most basic things about Jesus Christ. And it really is a reflection of this world which is post-truth, alternate facts and counter-knowledge. Right? And that's why I hope that as we come to the book of Luke, uh, you're really enthusiastic and you're really excited about coming to the book of Luke. You know, I hope that you really immerse yourself and soak up Luke and drink deep from and, and, and feed on Luke. Because Luke has so much to teach us in a world which is, you know, lost certainty, in a world which has so many different types of truths. It really is trying to teach us about what is really important, who Jesus is, what he has come to do for us and how we are to respond to him. So I hope that as we study the book of Luke for the rest of uh, the first half of the year, we will really be able to, you know, to soak it in, to, to take it to heart, to, to, to fix it into our brains, because we are living in a world which is really trying to, you know, like, like acid corrode that certainty and to erode the, the, the certainty that we have in the truth of Jesus Christ. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you so much for your word in the Gospel of Luke. Dear Father, we pray for ourselves that as we study it, we will learn more and more about Jesus. But not just know it for the sake of knowledge, but as Luke says, so that we may be certain of the things that we have been taught and that we would have that certainty fixed in our minds and our hearts so that we will be certain about who your son is. We'll be certain about what he has come to do. And we will be certain about how we are to respond to him. Dear Father, indeed, we live in a world which, which relativizes and confuses us, which is uh, casting all sorts of different secret theories about all sorts of different things. 
But may we come to your word and may we listen to it. May we truly be convicted by it as we come to the Gospel of Luke. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.